check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom, and today I'm sharing a conversation with Dr. Jody Nickel of Mount Royal University in Alberta, Canada. She describes her journey from balanced to structured literacy and how as a professor she had to pivot when she learned what the science truly tells us about how children learn to read. What she learned really impacted the tutoring program that her university's pre-service teachers participate in. Now, the teacher candidates are doing more explicit teaching of letter sounds and patterns and have seen how much students improve with this instruction. So I know you'll enjoy our conversation. There's a little bit of a scratchy sound in the background, and if I was a more expert editor, I'd figure out how to take that out. So don't let that distract you, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Dr. Nickel. Welcome, and thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I, I found you on Twitter, or X as we call it now, and you had made a comment which got my attention because you are in a position of leadership training future teachers and you made a switch in what you understand about how reading works and, and, and that's changed how you approach teaching it. So I'd like to talk about that today, but we'll start way back in your teacher training and how you're, talk about your experience as a teacher. Yeah, so I'm um, from Regina, Saskatchewan originally, and um, I taught grade one and two in the 90s in Saskatchewan, and my teacher prep program was steeped in whole language. Uh, I remember reading Nancy Atwell's In the Middle and The Art of Teaching Writing by Lucy Calkins, and I was sitting in, I remember reading week, reading that uh, Lucy Calkins book and actually crying at the joy mm -hmm. of children's self-expression and being so excited that I wanted to create that kind of engaging classroom for my students. Yeah, those books are very inspiring, um, which is why we all were taken in by them, I think. Um, yes. And it's not that all of it's wrong, but there's the foundation, there's a problem. Yes. So, um, and actually that led to a few years later when I did my master's uh, research, um, researching my students regarding um, uh, writing, uh, reading, writer's workshop. So the, um, the resource teacher at my school was trained in reading recovery. And in those early years, Fountas and Pinnell didn't exist. I, I looked it up. They, the Fountas and Pinnell level book system started in 96. So this, in those years prior to that, but we used a leveling system based on Marie Clay's um, uh, levels. And so we had trade books like The Carrot Seed by Ruth Krauss and It Looked Like Spilt Milk by Charles Shaw and all of those books were leveled and it was hard to find leveled books mm -hmm. that were appropriate for grade one readers. Um, we also had uh, a uh, Basil series called Impressions. I haven't been able to find it to look at uh, look up what was included in it anymore but I remember they had a lot of songs and poems that lent themselves to choral reading and um, we, we, of course, we did lots of reading of big books and choral reading, mm. and I would have the poems written on chart paper, or we would build the poems in uh, a pocket chart, and then I would create uh, pages of those and put them in a little duotang and send them home mm -hmm. for the uh, children to read to their parents. Well, interestingly, I replaced a teacher who was recently retired, and she had been using decodable books. And so the, the parents came to me because some of the older siblings had been in grade one with, uh, with this previous teacher. And they said, well, these were the, the kinds of books that the teacher was using pre previously, and we want you to use these too, because uh, the kids aren't really reading these poems you're sending home, they're just memorizing them. 
And I assured them, no, no, this is a normal step on the way to fluent reading and was slightly offended. But I didn't want my students reading those, uh, those boring phonics books. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, I focused on writer's workshop for my master's thesis. And I just, the, the kids loved it. They just relished that time to um, explore with writing um, and tell their stories, to tell their cute little stories. And um, I think there was probably some incidental phonics instruction happening during that time because I was helping them to, to encode their ideas. Uh, but, but it wasn't systematic. Now, one bright light, I will say, during those years in terms of using evidence-based instruction was I used a program called McCracken Spelling Through Phonics. So I don't know if any of your listeners will remember that program, but it was essentially word building, and it did progress in a fairly sequential way. It's, and it, I remember the first few consonants and vowels we were looking at were uh, basically spelling cats at mat and so on, and progressed to more complex words. So that, I think, informed the kind of uh, spelling and and coding they were doing during writer's workshop. Um, In the late night, no, in 2000, I started my doctorate and kind of inexplicably, I moved away from from reading during those years um, but uh, and focused more on educational foundations. But while I was doing my doctorate, I was doing some teaching for the university and those courses were also steeped in whole language and and balanced Mm -hmm. literacy. What years was that again that you were working your doctorate? From 2000 to 2005. Okay. Yeah. So still whole language, would you say? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, in 2005, I started at my current university. I was um, initially in an early childhood post, which, and then moved over in 2009 into teacher education, which interestingly is a different department. Uh, early childhood and uh, teacher education are different departments. Uh, I think it's probably true in some American universities as well. Um, and in the, for the next few years, I was teaching some more of those educational foundations courses. I had an administrative role for five years. And so literacy was actually a, a smaller part of what I was doing during those years. Um, but when I was, I was teaching uh, literacy courses following, following a balanced literacy approach. So, you know, talking about shared reading and guide reading and uh, guided reading and word work and so on. And I would have argued that I taught phonics during those years. And I think that most... Uh, post-secondary educators, pre-service teachers would say that they do. And I remember specifically using uh, my hands to to describe uh, uh, hourglass. You start with a hole, and you go to part, and then you go back to the hole. Whole part whole instruction. I think it's a phrase from Victoria Purcell Gates. So you might do shared reading of a story, then you um, discuss some part. So you might look at the rhyming words in this book, or look at how the author used punctuation, or something like that. And then return to the whole text, perhaps as an inspiration for writing, or um, to just build fluent reading. And um, I, I sometimes poke fun at myself now when I'm explaining to my students how I would use a, wor- a book like Down by the Bay, and I would teach rhyming words and did you ever see a whale with a polka dot tail and well sometimes a long a word like whale is spelled with a magic e and sometimes it's spelled with two vowels go walking but I had no sense of there being a scope and sequence that whale is uh, cbc words like whale are harder or pardon me easier and that then you progress to vowel teams later um, and I don't know that I'd even heard the term scope and sequence. I must have, but it certainly didn't inform what I was doing either in my undergraduate education or in my my um, own teaching career. I think that speaks a lot to what I learned uh, and did in the beginning years. And I think definitely I never had thought of it 
phrasing it that way, whole part whole, but that's definitely what it was. It was this idea that we were going to start with this text that I, for me, honestly, it was whatever big books I had. Like I didn't have very many, so I would just choose one that I had and we would just, I would read it and we would just, I would just choose something that we would focus on because the book lent itself to that. And then of course they'd recite it again with me. And I think I looked at that as, I didn't see it as haphazard, which is what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was whole, like, um, meaningful context, like teaching language in a meaningful context. And I also, like you, I didn't have a scope and sequence. And I would have felt that was, I think I would have thought of that as constraining. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I didn't think that, I thought, well, we have to to see from our students what they need to learn next. And of course, there is something all about assessment, but that's not what I was doing. (laughs) I was just kind of sort of guessing. Um, Yeah, so I can definitely relate to what you said. Yeah, that's true. And you're right, it was based on the resources, and there were limited resources. Like I was describing pre-Fountas and Pinnell, we were just using trade books that had been leveled, and those are there's not very many um, books that children can read. I, I think I also remember using The Very Hungry Caterpillar, and um, the, the kids could read the repetitive part, but they couldn't read that the beginning of the book where it's, you know, one day a caterpillar sat on a leaf. Well, there were lots yes. of ch- challenging words in that introduction part. So... Um... As you were teaching this way, did it ever, did you ever feel like there might be something wrong or that there were kids you weren't reaching? Like, did you have any questions about it as you were doing it? No, I don't think I did. I think I was quite cocksure that this was right. I was right on track. I, I, I did the same, unfortunately. I mean, I think I noticed that some things weren't working, but I figured I just had to just keep figuring out this way of doing it. Mm-hmm, and I also assumed, I made a lot of assumptions about kids not getting read to at home and that was the problem and so yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so moving on... Um, what happened next? Yeah, so um, about 2012 or 2013, um, uh, a woman who's a very close friend of mine now reached out to me. She ran a nonprofit organization called Calgary Reads. And Calgary Reads uh, did all kinds of interesting uh, literacy initiatives in the community. But their core program was they would train volunteers um, to go into schools and help kids learn to read. And the program they used uh, wasn't a pure reading recovery, but it was based on reading recovery principles. And uh, these volunteers would go and listen to a child read level books. It was called Read Up because the idea was that you would read up in levels. And okay. they would, you know, make some sight word cards and so on. And she said, I don't think teachers know how to teach children how to read and I can help why don't we get your teacher candidates um, doing tutoring as part of their coursework so the way our courses are structured they uh, are in schools uh, half day a week and they're with us a half day a week and so um, you know they're helping out the teacher and doing you know getting to know the kids and so on but we thought you know for half hour a week they could be doing literacy tutoring and so we started assigning them one child for the for the entire year and by the entire year I mean basically October to March um, and they followed that child and wrote a case study about them and I actually think they really learned a lot from that even though there were um, some things that we've improved some challenges with that uh, they I think that by listening to one child read they really noticed what they needed uh, mm-hmm. And I've written a couple of papers about that. One was called Tutoring to Build Teachers Candid- uh, Teach Candidates' Competence as Reading Teachers and Learning to Teach Responsively Through Tutoring. And so I, I quoted a, a fellow named Dennis Murphy Odo who compared tutoring to learning to teach with training wheels because you can really pay attention to that one child and zone in on what they need. Now, I remember there was one quote, though, where a, a student was describing uh, a child um, struggling 
struggling with a particular concept and they said, but I didn't really know how to help them with this because I don't have enough phonics knowledge to do that. How interesting. Um, and, yeah. So I think they were beginning to recognize that they needed more um, to, to help them. Yeah. So what led you to rethink your balanced literacy whole language approach? Well, I finally had a sabbatical. It was that my first sabbatical in nearly 15 years after I started academia. And those are really valuable opportunities because I finally had a chance to read more widely. Uh, I have a good friend who's an educational psychologist and uh, we go for walks and she'd been challenging me on tutoring and was explaining to me that these leveled books left kids guessing and that they needed to be taught more explicitly. And she started sending me things to read and to listen to. So, of course, the first was Emily Hanford's At a Loss for Words. And I've heard you describe on your podcast, Anna, how you uh, were resistant and defensive at first. Yeah. I don't know if you would respond to that. <laughs> oh, definitely true. Um, yeah, I'm sure people that listen to my podcast regularly know the story. But I, that was what got me to the science of reading around 2019 or so when someone commented, two people commented on my blog post with that in a very nice way. They were just like, what do you think about this? And I was sure it was wrong. It had to be wrong. It was nothing, nothing what I'd been taught. Um, mm -hmm. And I hadn't heard of any of those people she was talking about in quoting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it did, it did lead me to ask around. And then I realized that actually some people were rethinking what they were doing. And these are the things I needed to read. So yeah, I definitely credit her for getting me started. Yeah. But it was hard well. at first. <laughs> yeah. Well, and another was the structured literacy versus typical literacy practices by Louise Spear Swirling. And I remember mm -hmm. looking at the structured literacy practices thinking, those look so boring. Mm -hmm. um, she gave me David Kilpatrick's Equipped for Reading Success. And I think it took me a while to understand orthographic mapping. Uh, perhaps I'm still learning to understand it. But I was beginning to understand the role of phonemic awareness in, in learning to read. And then Tim Shanahan's blog. And so I had a period of a few months where I know that I was ambivalent. Um, I'm preparing for a presentation at the Reading League next fall, actually. Oh. And, and um, I found an uh, email that I sent to my colleague. So I sent my colleague Tim Shanahan's blog, and this is a quote that I wrote to her. So this would have been the fall of 2019. This blog has been helpful in clarifying my thinking about shifts in reading instruction and a balance understanding of the new quote science of reading that may be just a bit fanatical about phonics first. So yeah. that was where my head was in the fall of 2019. My, my colleague thought it was very funny that I was able to find this, yeah. unearth this email. Um, I remember going to a PD event and having a conversation with a local administrator who was a huge uh, advocate of literacy and uh, uh, an advocate of Calgary Reads. And I, I was saying, but what about all this stuff that they're saying about leveled books? And she kind of allayed my fears and said, oh, no, no, it's, it's okay. I think that it's all right for kids to read level books when they're just beginning because it builds their confidence. And so I was in this period where in, of transition. But that was, I had a whole year. I mean, I was doing a lot of other projects that year as well, but a lot of, of reading. So I read all of the, the key authors. I read Speech to Print by Louisa Motes, and I read Language at the Speed of Sight by Mark Seidenberg, and Reading in the Brain by Stanislaus Dehane, and uh, more David Kilpatrick, and Daniel Willingham, and Marianne Wolf, and so many podcasts, and websites, and webinars, and social media groups, and one that was very influential because it had videos attached to help me see classroom practice was the Reading Rockets 101 course. Um, and so I could actually look at a video, oh, that's what it looks like to do phonological awareness using um, felts, for example. Mm -hmm. So when I returned from my sabbatical in the summer of 2020, um, we started shifting the content of the course. And I would say the shifting in the, in the, the content has been kind of gradual. 
Um, that year we were teaching online. And so unfortunately the teacher candidates didn't have uh, field experience at schools mm -hmm. that year. And so I really think the experience of learning the content and then applying it to tutoring and also seeing it in the schools is really what makes it stick. So um, what we had them reading that year was the Put Reading First, um, little sort of small book by Arm Brewster et al and really started emphasizing the importance of knowing what does the research say. So we, we shifted away from the, some of the balanced literacy readings in that year. Mm -hmm. By the next spring, spring of 2021, we knew that the students would be returning to schools in the fall and that we needed to revamp tutoring. And interestingly, Calgary Reads was also going through this, a similar transition. They were realizing, okay, we need to rethink this tutoring program we've been doing. They had an early literacy advisory of teachers and and th this group were saying, you know what, we need to shift things away from level books and so on. But they, they didn't have the opportunity or the time to, to revamp tutoring. Um, and so I thought, well, I I've got to pull something together on my own. And so with their help um, and the help of that early literacy advisory, I just pulled together a little Google site of resources. And okay. tutoring initially included simply three parts with about 10 minutes for each. Uh, 10 minutes of word work, 10 minutes of listening to students reading, and then 10 minutes of adult reading. And that was kind of the general framework. We didn't have any money for the for a resource, and uh, we didn't feel comfortable asking the students to purchase something when we were still you know, in the process of figuring out what would work for them as well. Um, and so it was just kind of cobbled together, those free resources. Um, we gave them a, a word work folder with the manipulative grapheme tiles, and I think that helped them understand even the fact that, you know, the SH digraph is on one tile, and so it mm -hmm. only takes that it's one sound. So some of those things, I think, were beginning to build their understanding. And we did give them a, a scope and sequence, but it was really broad steps. It really just said first CVC words, then magic E words, and, and so on. It didn't uh, break it down into the really specific steps that I think would have helped them more specifically. Um, partway through that year, so this would have been the winter of 2022 or perhaps late in the fall of 21, um, our provincial government released um, a, a document called Reading Intervention Lessons. And so that was a bit more structured and, and helped them, but we didn't have access to that when we were first building the tutoring website. And when it came to the student reading to the adult, we recommended some digital texts and we had, or, or recommended some decodable texts rather, and had um, some access to digital versions like the Flyleaf, for example. Um, and so some of them were having kids reading level books uh, because that's what the teachers were giving them and recommending, and some were having them read decodable books. And I should say that our um, province has introduced a new curriculum, and in that year it was being piloted. So teachers were in a time of transition too. They were really just trying to get their head around what did it mean to shift from level books to decodable books and uh, scope and sequence. So I think the teacher candidates in that first year or two were starting to build some um, solid routines, but it was still a bit disjointed and, and unstructured. And so after that first year, we knew that we needed a more detailed scope and sequence. And so we gave them the UFLY, you know, the sort of one page scope and sequence. And that was much more detailed. The UFLY handbook or guidebook only came out in uh, that s summer. And so we didn't have time to um, really revamp the tutoring site based on that. But even 
having a more detailed scope and sequence was really helpful. So if a student was, let's say, teaching the oo sound and they were using the word tube and the word spoon and the word few, I could show them on the scope and sequence. Well, don't you see that tube is way over here in the in like lesson 55 or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And spoon is over here and few is a is a atypical spelling. And so you want to save that till later. And so um, the other thing that happened in 2022 is we received a donation of lit kits from Calgary Reads and they are labeled on the box. It's labeled a box packed with love and bite-sized ideas for joyful reading. Um, and, and that had a magazine of resources and it was originally designed for parents. Um, but it was about this time that Calgary Reads decided to wind down. And I'll tell you more about that in a moment. Um, and so they donated about a hundred of these lit kits. And so then every teacher candidate had a lit kit that they could take with them into schools mm. and it had a whiteboard with markers, wow. uh, had, you know, books, it had uh, games and dice and all kinds of resources. Neat. So then it took our little, um, our little website and gave them some tools to use with it. Uh -huh. Then the bigger changes I would say happened just this past summer in 2023. Um, so as I said, Calgary Reads had decided to wind down and disperse of their assets and in something called the dandelion strategy. And part of what they were doing was wanting to take the programs that they had and allow them to grow. So think of it blowing off the dandelion seeds mm -hmm. and letting those seeds grow in bigger organizations. And so we were fortunate to be one of the seven organizations that were selected to be gifted some of those funds and the programs. And one of the, the beautiful things that came from that was the support from pro some professional web designers. And um, so we developed the content, taking what we'd learned in those first two years with our little cobbled together Google site and gave those resources and, and beefed them up and improved them and gave them to these web designers. And they didn't know anything about literacy. And so they were asking such great questions. Well, what do you mean by, by this? What do you mean by orthographic mapping? What do you mean by heart words and so on? And so they really helped to clarify the content and then um, and created great visuals to really bring it to life. Um, I had the support um, in building the content from a local teacher. And interestingly, she's uh, now running her own tutoring company. Uh, and she has been hiring a bunch of our students. So students go and work with her in her after school reading clinic. And so she knows, okay, what is a 20 year old like? <laughs> and what do they need to know in order to be an effective tutor? And so having her wisdom to help me with developing the content was really, really powerful. Now, in terms of developing the content, we only could really give them half hour a week. And mm -hmm. so we knew we couldn't be doing sort of a full blown you fly lesson with all of the steps. Um, but we borrowed some of the core routines. And um, we had some of the students that had been working for this teacher um, come to the university and we had a professional um, videographers and they did videos of them demoing some of the activities oh, with kids and so I think those really uh, bring the the tutoring website to life for students mm -hmm. because you can sh say well this is what a visual drill looks like or yeah. this is what word work looks like and um, I think that they're really making those powerful connections when they learn the ideas in class and then get the to try them out with the students yeah that's excellent yeah so tell me more about how you help them learn to teach reading in this short setting. Yeah, so sadly, we can't really supervise all of them directly because they're 
about 90 teacher candidates in, you know, 25 or 30 different schools. And so we have to do what we can on campus and then depend on the schools to support them. So uh, we start with tutor training. That was about six hours um, back in September, where we really kind of worked through what does a lesson plan look like? What does a tutoring session look like? Worked through the videos, practiced it in pairs, and then practiced designing lessons in prayers, in pairs rather. They um, Then they share their tutoring logs that they're doing in schools with me in Google Doc format so that okay. I can add comments. And so I provide feedback as often as I can. And often they'll email me and say, what do you think I should do here? Or they'll mm-hmm. stay after class and ask advice. Um, we also get them together in uh, grade groups to share their tutoring plans with their peers and they support one another. And in some schools, they are even beginning to lead small groups and some whole class lessons w- with teachers who are using some of those materials. And so that's been a really cool experience for them to see this isn't just a one-to-one intervention. This, this could be whole class instruction mm-hmm. as well. Um, one of the things that we tried last spring that was really exciting is um, in the past few, even from 2013 on, we had them write a case study about the child they were tutoring and submit it as an assignment um, where they would make the theory practice connections and so on. This past April, we had them do a visual showcase. And so picture kind of like a, a research paper or a science fair kind of experience where everybody created a, a visual. We had them displayed on smart boards and some on these giant visual visualization walls in our space and had about 10 minutes each to tell the story of the child they were tutoring. And we okay. invited invited mentor teachers, invited um, community members, and it was uh, had about six presentations happening consecutively. And every 10 minutes, a new person started sharing and the, the visual essentially was a story. So I said, you know, think when they're overwhelmed, like, what do I put on this? I said, think of a story having a beginning, middle, and an end. A beginning is the child that you met. Who was this child? Were they, you know, quiet and reserved? Were they rambunctious and energetic? Um, were they an ELL? What, what, were their, what were they experiencing as readers? What were they like? Then the middle is, what did you do? What happened in your story? And so they had been encouraged to take photographs of um, some of the activities they'd been doing. And then the end was, what happened? What was the end of your story? Um, and in most cases, they, I would say, used the Corphonic survey. And so they had little graphs showing how their Corphonic survey results changed over time. In some cases, they had um, qualitative information, like the child said, I love reading now, or mm-hmm. you know those kinds of things. And so it was a really high energy event, and they were pretty excited to be able to talk about all they had done and felt a really great sense of efficacy about um, what a difference they had made in the lives of these kids. So that, that was really exciting. So that's, that's going to be a, a keeper. We'll, we'll, we'll stick with that in the future. And then I think just the, what we had them submit in addition to that was what I called an evidence base. So we've been using for the last two or three, I guess this is our third year, using the Teaching Reading Source book. Yes. And uh, as you know, it's a wealth of research-based um, information. And I asked them to choose five um, quotes or um, ideas from the text and then describe how that was evident in their practice. And so yeah. um, just really getting them to tie what they're doing, not to activities, but to what um, getting them to tie not to activities, but to what research is informing the activities that they're doing. I love that so much. That is definitely not something I knew how to do. And if someone would ask me as a teacher, like, what are your, 
what research is your work based on? I would have said, well, it's based on the work of Lucy Calkins and Founders and Pinnell. Like I didn't, I didn't know what the research said about it. I just trusted what they told me. Um, so that's excellent that they're getting into that so early. So is the teaching reading source book, their core textbook, their main that's textbook? Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I know I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but it's pricey, but it is worth it. Uh, it's, it's very comprehensive and it has the sample lessons all throughout, which is just mm -hmm. really wonderful mm -hmm. and very, very readable too. Very mm -hmm. nice, uh, nicely laid out as well. So you've talked about how this, uh, this one colleague opened your eyes to the science of reading. You got into it, you made some changes, then you realized that the, the tutoring that you were offering could be up changed and um, improved. And, and you talked about how your teaching of your um, pre-service teachers has shifted. If you, if you would go back into teaching in the classroom, how would your approach to teaching reading look different from when you were a classroom teacher? Years um, ago. Yeah, interesting. So Margaret Goldberg has uh, a visual, you know, on the, it's on the Reading Rockets uh, site, where she talks about going from activity focused to um, targeted instruction. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the on the, the left hand side, it's shared reading, reading workshop, word study, read alouds, writers workshop. So those are the mm -hmm. activities we're doing, which, as mm -hmm. you said, we tend to do, do those activities with the resources that we have to more of a focus on word recognition and spelling strategies, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. So it's possible that some of the activities we're doing are the same activities, but they're informed with a different lens. Now I'm not just doing the shared reading because um, I have a book, to, a big book to read. I'm doing shared reading because I actually want to build fluency or I want to work on these specific comprehension strategies. So I think being guided by those specific um, goals is really what would shift for me if I was a classroom teacher now. So when I, when I look back to your experience learning about the science of reading, can you remind me what was the, your colleague, was she a classroom teacher or was she a professor? Uh, no, she was an educational psychologist. So she okay. was working with kids who, who had complex learning needs. And whatever she did, it didn't make you run away or retreat or not want to be her friend anymore. So do you have any, <laughs> any thoughts for us about what did she do right that got you interested in learning about it? Um, I think she was patient with me. Um, and mm -hmm. I do think that we need to give people time to process the ideas. I, I had coffee recently with somebody who's in that in that space right now where she's processing ideas and what she said, when I first heard Mount Royal university was doing science of reading, I thought, Oh no. <laughs> um, and she was alarmed by this. And she said, but now I look at what you're doing and I'm realizing that maybe it's not so far off base. So mm -hmm. I think we need to give people time. Um, so think about my view, my email that I sent to my colleague, it's only four years ago saying, mm -hmm. you know, this might be a bit fanatical. And so to, um, the skeptics, I think it, it, it does look fanatical at the beginning. Uh, I also think that some of those critics, they think that um, phonics instruction would make them feel like a drill sergeant. In fact, that's yeah. what this person um, said. She said, you're not a drill sergeant, you know, mm -hmm. getting kids to just chant out words. And so I think we need to help them see that explicit instruction as fun and engaging. Um, I also think that the critics would argue that they are teaching phonics, as I said, I thought I was. And so I think I would ask them, what is guiding those instructional decisions about which phonics concepts they're going yeah. to teach and how? So I think the biggest shifts for me in the last few years have been, first of all, that you need a scope and sequence, that you need to teach things in a sequential way, that leveled texts are not productive. I found the uh, the Purple Challenge videos quite compelling yes. for mm -hmm. telling that story and showed parts of those to the students. 
um, because they just introduce words that are too complex. Like in those videos, why would you expect a six-year-old to be able to read the word fence and paint and even purple? Um, and then the third thing is the idea of mapping sounds, the Alconan boxes and mapping sounds to graph themes. And I think even that came later. I would say that recognizing scope, we need a scope and sequence and that level texts are not productive. I think I was understanding that early in my journey, understanding the, uh, the process of things like Alconan boxes or that type of strategy to map sounds to graph themes, that, that came a bit later. Um, I think we also have to show the skeptics that they continue can continue to use all those beautiful books. So we always go back to authentic reading and writing from a, a, a balanced literacy perspective. And so the language comprehension strand doesn't go away. Um, mm -hmm. That we're, we're still doing those rich and meaningful tasks. And we want to engage kids with those beautiful books. And we want them to be writing about authentic topics. We just have to do some of the explicit work to help them to access those rich topics. That they can't read those complex texts unless we've given them the tools to access them. And they can't write meaningfully unless we've given them some of the tools that will help them to do that. Um, the other thing I would say about the teaching reading source book, uh, I love that it's structured with the what, why, when, and how. So what is um, vocabulary, for example, why is it important, when do you teach it, and then how do you teach it. One wish that I have is um, lessons in the how section, especially in those vocabulary and comprehension um, sections that are based on actual trade books. I think that um, that would uh, uh, help teachers to see how you can make them engaging. And so I've often taken examples from Reading Rockets, for example, and shown a classroom video of a teacher using those strategies. So here's semantic gradients. And so we look at the video of the teacher mm -hmm. teaching semantic gradients on the Reading Rockets site. And she does it based on a sea to sleepy. So she's using a real text. So I think um, maybe that's a, a growth area for science of reading to show how to integrate explicit instruction with authentic texts. Um, one source that I think does a nice job of that is ReadWorks. They, you know, mm -hmm. well, I was looking at the novel studies recently, for example, and so they've taken the wonder story and then they're showing how you could embed some really explicit instruction with a rich text like that. And I think that the message needs to be explicit instruction doesn't take away kids' creativity. It actually gives them the tools to communicate successfully. Um, and also just the energy that um, efficacy brings. So I think science of reading can have a huge boost for teacher efficacy because they finally mm -hmm. feel like, oh, I'm succeeding here and for student efficacy. And so it feels good to be successful. And I think it's more empowering for kids when they sk feel skillful and it's more empowering for teachers when they understand what kids need and, and really how to help them succeed. So I guess that would be my my message to those who are still holding on to a balanced literacy approach and are, are skeptical. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And also that's so exciting about how your tutoring program continues to evolve and, and improve. Do you have any specific resources you want to share before we close out that if, you know, if someone's trying to reach out to a colleague, any good starting points? Um, I actually followed um, to figure out what to read a, a video by Dave Pelk, where he, I okay. think he called it a scope and sequence for, um, for teachers, right? So okay. here's what you should read first. And it lists a lot of those, those sources that I read. Um, and, and 
We had uh, Heidi Beverin Curry actually came mm-hmm. and spoke to our teacher candidates as part of the teachers convention last year. And um, somebody came up to the mic um, and said, you know, I'm at another university where we're not learning about this. Where do yeah. you think I should go? And and she it surprised me, actually. She recommended they go to social media. And I think in part because it's the conversations on social media, you see people wrestling with issues and um, and pointing each other to the to the right sources. And so I feel like I've really been steeped in that world for the last few years. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. I'll make sure to share those links in the show notes. And thanks again. Thank you. You can find the show notes for today's episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 159. Talk to you next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community. We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.